Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Welcome to Life and Art from FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and this is our Friday chat show. This week, we are talking about the much-discussed film Poor Things. It's directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who's also known for The Lobster and The Favorite, and it's based on the 1992 novel by Alistair Gray. Poor Things tells the story of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone. She's a young woman in Victorian London whose brain has been replaced by a baby's brain. When the film starts, she's a grown woman acting completely infantile, but Bella grows quickly, and she soon discovers sex and philosophy and the world and turns out to love life. She's an experiment. Good evening. Her brain and her body are not quite synchronized, but she's progressing at an accelerated pace. I am Bella Baxter, and there is a world to enjoy circumnavigate. It is the goal of all to progress, grow. A woman plotting her course to freedom. How delightful. So far, Poor Things has had a very positive critical response, and it's been nominated for 11 Oscars. But it's also quite strange and has made people feel quite uneasy. So we're here to talk about it. I'm Lila, and... I must go and punch that baby. <laughs> Joining me from London is our arts editor, Jan Daly. Uh, Jan, we usually do quotes to introduce everyone, but almost every other quote from this film is sexually explicit. So I have, to, <laughs> I have to just politely welcome you and say it's such a pleasure to have you. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, and also in London is the great HTSI editor, Joe Ellison. Hi, Joe. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Very well. Great. So I can't tell you both what a pleasure it is to have both of you in one episode together and how excited I am to talk about a film that is so wild and so confusing. Um, I'm going to ask first what your top line reactions are. Um, Jan, what did you think? For the first five or 10 minutes of this movie, I thought, let me out of here. I thought, I'm going <laughs> to hate this. It's everything I hate. It's kind of bish-bosh, sci-fi, overdressed, over kind of coy, overdone. And I was hating it. And then <laughs> as time went on, and a lot of time goes by, by the way, it is a very long film, but it mm. didn't take very long for me to get much more seduced by it. And I ended up not feeling it was too long. And I ended up being very, very... Um, beguiled by it and found lots to think about. Mm. Uh, Joe, what about you? How did you feel? I think probably precisely the opposite. I went in and went, <laughs> oh, great, European art house sort of perspective, uh, slightly different aesthetic values, a kind of adventure to go on and then spend the last hour screaming, get me out of here, is this film ever going <laughs> to end? I was like really like desperately, desperately wanting it to finish. Um, but I think overall I probably... 
I have to say, I was quite averagely a bit of a six and a half out of 10 for me. Um, mm. Like lots to like, lots to enjoy. I laughed out loud a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I found her characterization really fabulous, but I just didn't love it structurally, which is incredibly boring, boring criticism. <laughs> but that was, yeah, that was my takeaway. That's interesting. You know, I left thinking... I probably won't see that movie again, but I really liked it. And then a couple of days later, I was still thinking about how much I liked it. And I realized that um, maybe it was my favorite movie of this year, which kind of surprised me. Um, Even though I know it's morally questionable to put a a woman's fetus's brain into her brain and then have that baby brain have a sexual awakening, (laughs) among other things. Uh, it seems sort of like a just an interesting thought experiment to watch a woman who just had no context and no sense of shame make her way through the world. So the way this movie plays out is that once Bella reaches like probably maybe mental adolescence, she meets this man played by Mark Ruffalo who sweeps her off her feet and asks her to go with him to Portugal and she decides to go. So the film is sort of broken up in chapters where uh, in every chapter she's sort of learning a different thing. In Portugal, she's learning about the sumptuousness of life and then they're on a ship. And then in Alexandria, she learns about poverty. And then in Paris, she does this uh, period of sex work. It's it's chapterized like that. Uh, is there anything else you would add to that? Well, I think it's a, very important that it's a learning journey and mm-hmm. that even though he is trying to control her all the time, she doesn't let herself be controlled. She behaves fantastically badly. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything from, you know, being kind of sick in restaurants to um, everything you can imagine. But also she is learning along the way. She suddenly discovers books. um, Right. And he's very jealous and threatened by this. So we see her gaining her independence and her own way of discovering the world. And um, she's growing increasingly away from her dependence on the men around her. It's almost corny, actually. It's probably a (laughs) flaw in the film, if anything, but you kind of know what's going to happen next. So in a sense, it's a very, very simple story. It's a simple progression towards mm-hmm. the the ultimate liberation. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that idea of that kind of beautiful naivety and someone so unformed just experiencing life as pleasure is in a way tickled a, a kind of feminist fantasy for me, but then the sort of endless repetitious sex and the kind <laughs> of nastiness of it. I I started becoming a bit more uncomfortable with it. Um, Mm. I could have lived with maybe 12 fewer experiences. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we certainly certainly got the point early on. That's for sure. Right, right. Yes, I I agree that that there maybe are one too many of these episodes, some of them more fantastical and more kind of crazily surreal than others. I Mm -hmm. think that... um, that these issues about shame or lack of it, about the way a woman faces the conventions of the world becomes very complicated and is demanded in all kinds of ways. Um, During her time in Paris, we get a lot of sex, a lot, a lot. And they're very, very (laughs) grotesque scenes. There's nothing fabulous or fantastical about these sexual encounters. They're quite brutish. And yet she actually emerges from them on unhumiliated. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite lines of the film is when 
she's asked about her experience being a prostitute in Paris, and she says, uh, I tired a bit, but it was fascinating. <laughs> and that's quite that's what's so charming about her throughout. She does not lose her charm or her appetite for for curi- like her curiosity. And I think that's why you're, yeah. I think she's essentially so winning. And also, mm-hmm. I mean, the film is grotesque and kind of disgusting, but it's also so sumptuous and beautiful. So it's this really weird sort of surrealist kind of fantasmagory of like weird landscapes and fabulous outfits and kind of delicious food, piles of food and dancing. And, and you get really like sweat. The aesthetic is so powerful. You just, it's incredibly immersive, which I think is yes. another huge element of it. Like you're, it's, it's very visceral, the whole thing. Yes. Let's talk about that. It's very sumptuous. It's aesthetically stunning. Um, Joe, I've been wanting to ask you for your thoughts on the fashion? (laughs) Well, I think I read something really interesting from the costume designer recently. She talked a lot about that um, leg of mutton's shoulder shape that she wears throughout. Like it's an incredibly huge shoulder. And it has historically always been attributed to periods of time in which women have been powerful, not least Elizabeth I. So she's Mm -hmm. got that sort of Elizabethan, powerful, virgin kind of queen vibe, which is with a very powerful eyebrow and the crazy dark hair. Like she's so striking to look at as well Mm -hmm. as everything else. And then the sets are incredible. The sets were all done by the art director Shona Heath, who we used to work a lot with the photographer Tim Walker. And they always would create these fabulous sets that are like these fantasy mm. sets and she's really kind of come out I think it's the first film she worked on and she's done the most phenomenal job of creating this universe I mean like it or don't I mean it's like absolutely arresting yeah yeah okay I would love to get a little deeper into some of the themes of the film. Uh, The most obvious one is the depiction of women and sexuality. It has divided a lot of people. Uh, The Guardian asked 14 critics for their take, and they were basically all entirely different. Um, I'm just going to throw my opinion out there first, which is that I like that this film made people feel different things. You know, one of the criticisms is that it's a male gaze fantasy, that uh, it was made by a male director, a male screenwriter based on a man's novel, and it's showing this woman who really loves sex. I agree that three men making a film about a woman is kind of a bummer, (laughs) but I think it feels reductive to like then fob the whole thing off as male gazy and not worth it. Like one... I don't think that the sex is sexy at all. It's not like sexualizing her. Two, even as Bella learns about the world, she never learns shame and she never succumbs to shame. And uh, I think that that's interesting and pretty cool. Um, And I also think just like, why does a woman enjoying sex have to be considered a male fantasy? Oh, well, I'm very much with you on that. That was the point I was going to make. I'm amazed that everybody thinks that the idea of a woman who's completely uninhibited about sex is a male fantasy. Surely it's a female fantasy. Surely lots of us would kind of secretly or not so secretly like to be like that. Maybe not exactly, <laughs> right. maybe not exactly like Bella, but um, certainly the idea of being liberated from some of our hang-ups and some of our preconceptions. Right. You know, there's nothing frightening about that as an idea and there's nothing necessarily... Um, so certainly nothing misogynist about it, I'm sure. Right, right, right. So, you know, it reminds me that a lot of people have been comparing this film to Barbie. I'm curious what you think about that. 
I do think there is something quite weird in the whole, um, you know, dialogue around like all the nominations and what's getting the attention that where these two things seem to sit like it's the complete, it's the Madonna Hall kind of complex right there. Like yeah. you've got Barbie on the one hand, blonde, beautiful, you've got Bella on the other, kind of like crazy, you know, dark haired, sort of wanton lust lover. Um, it's mm-hmm. like the perfect, it's sort of kind of set up for a cultural conversation, isn't it? But they're just, it's, um, it's just been quite a fortunate happenstance. Yeah, it is. I was going to ask you both if you think that it's a feminist film. A lot of people are uh, disagreeing about that. When I left, I felt like, you know, this is maybe a better version of exploring feminism than Barbie, uh, because I felt like Barbie's version of feminism was like, you know, great for kids, good to hear. (laughs) Um, But Mm. it felt kind of like pussy hat 2.0 feminism, Hillary Clinton feminism. I felt like we already knew well, clean and nice and women supporting each other and like all the nice <laughs> things, but not just women doing their own thing and, you know, not giving a damn. And so from that to mm. that extent, I think probably it is a feminist film. Yeah. Jan, what do you think? Well, I think I think that it's interesting to think about the Madonna Hall thing. I completely agree that the comparison with Barbie is really fascinating and is probably one of the reasons why this film has had so much interest that, you know, everybody obsessed about Barbie for a bit. But I mean, there wasn't in the end really that much to say about Barbie. I thought it was quite boring (laughs) compared to this, which is infinitely more complicated. But in a funny sort of way that this is a film in which you can't even talk about women in the plural because there's one woman in this film. Mm -hmm. She, there are no others. She has no comparisons except for a few very, very incidental characters. Eventually she makes a friend who is another prostitute. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, the, I think that this is a this is a film about a woman without women. Mm-hmm. This is a interesting does that person make, who's does that make a feminist? Then? No, no, no. I, no, I, no. I don't think. I don't, yeah. I, I honestly don't think it's a term you can apply. I think the right. the interesting experiment is to think about what it would be if um, a, a a female baby in a woman's body grew up without any female models at all, Mm -hmm. without any role models of any sort. So the Madonna-Whore dichotomy literally doesn't exist for her because those are both social constructs, very powerfully determined social constructs. And the point is she didn't have any social constructs. So I think that that feminist or not feminist is the wrong question Mm -hmm. here in a way because I think we're talking about an individual. Yes, she's a woman. Um, and that becomes very important. But yes. um, I just don't think that's the right question to be asking. I'd rather be Bella Baxter than Barbie. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like she was really, she was getting a lot more out of life as she was. Yeah, totally. And, and I, she had a lot more choices, custard pies <laughs> at every turn. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I think that the outrage really seems to stem from this idea that Bella represents what all women would be like if they were freed from some shackles of shame. And and I think you're right. It's We're not seeing all women represented. We're seeing this one woman <laughs> in this sort of thought experiment. Well, a lot of things happen to her. One is that she discovers books. We don't actually quite work out how she's learned to read because she certainly can't write very well. But um, she discovers books and then suddenly, you know, books becoming more important than sex. And yeah, we kind of all know that feeling sometimes. But she's discovered reading. She's discovered 
the urge to learn. She's discovered all kinds of things which have nothing to do with the men or the sex. So we're seeing a real journey. Yeah. My last questions are just about the impact of the film. It has become so popular. The Academy loved it. Critics seem to love it. Uh, it's a film with a lot more sex than usual for a film that everybody seems to love. I guess, what do we think about the, um, the sort of like rave reviews? What do we think about the attention that it's getting now? Do we think it deserves it? Uh, do you think it's unique to this time? I'm, I'm curious what both of you think. Uh, Joe, how do you, how do you feel? Um, I think if you look at this, you know, if you look at the nominees this year, it's still quite interesting to see that actually the women in films all still kind of do conform to quite strange stereotypes. You know, you've yeah. got your Barbie, you've got your kind of, you know, very, very sanitized sort of like doll light woman who kind of represents kind of <laughs> clean Hollywood. You've got poor things. We've got this woman who is kind of, you know, the the whore um, and the kind of, you know, sexual adventurer, very European, very kind of, you know, arty and, and surrealist, which is whatever it is. You've got Flowers of the Killer Moon. You've got a woman who's being poisoned by her husband. I mean, in that <laughs> in the Bechdel test where they basically, one of the tests that you talk about where the film is, um, of how focused it is on women, it, it requires women to talk about, you know, to each other for a series of like five minutes where they don't <laughs> mention another man. Not many of these films pass the test, sadly. Um, mm. The only one I think that does in the nominees this year is like Naya. So in terms of the kind of general <laughs> landscape of like women in film, it's not really kind of, I don't think it's like changing the needle. They're just getting their boobs out more often, which I don't know. Am I happy about that? I guess I am kind of, but I'm not, I wouldn't be thrilled. Um, and Jan, what do you think? You know, you've, you've, um, you and your deputy editor, Raf, like you have seen um, so many seasons of films and, uh, and covered them. How, how are you watching this? Um, I agree with Joe that that this one benefited from a lot of extra publicity. I think it it benefited hugely from the comparison with Barbie. Um, this provides us with so much more grist to a nice argumentative mill, and people love an argument. You know, it's just great mm -hmm. to 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 be able to really um, discuss a film like this with so many contrasting and angrily contrasting viewpoints. Yeah. Um, Jan and Joe, thank you both so much. We will be back in just a moment for more or less. The 2024 U.S. presidential election is in full swing, and I'm not going to lie, it's a lot. To help you make sense of the information overload, we're launching a new U.S. politics show. It's called Swamp Notes from the FT News Briefing, and it's hosted by me, Mark Filipino. Tune in every Saturday morning for insights from FT journalists and a global perspective on the election. Listen to Swamp Notes by following the FT News Briefing wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back for more or less, the part of the show where we each say one thing we want to see more of or less of culturally. Uh, Joe, what do you have? Okay, more of Harris Dickinson, please. He's in the Iron Claw at the moment. He's also in Triangle of Sadness. And he was in another film I watched last week and he's unrecognizable in each. Oh, Scrapper. Um, I just, <laughs> I'm in love. I'm obsessed. Um, so yes, more of him. <laughs> Did you say his name again? Harris Dickinson. Harris Dickinson. 27-year-old okay. actor. 
Delicious. Um, okay. <laughs> and also exceptionally good. He's, he's like a chameleon before the screen. Uh, Jen, what about you? Um, well, my more category is probably a little more vague. I would like more uh, chance for artists in all disciplines to experiment. And that probably means more money for the arts, more funding. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jen. I have a very concrete one, which is more concentrated travel reviews, I think. I am planning a trip to Oaxaca for next month, and I went down this rabbit hole recently of trying to figure out where to stay. And there's just too much. There's like hotel booking sites, Airbnb reviews, TripAdvisor reviews, Google. And then there's, of course, like the great travel stories in our newspapers. And it just feels very, the internet feels very disorganized about this. So I feel that we need help. Fewer travel review sites, maybe more concentrated reviews. Uh, and also, if listeners have Oaxaca tips, please let me know. Um, Joe and Jen, thank you so much. This was so fun, so thought provoking. And um, please come again. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That's the show. Thank you for listening to Life and Art from FT Weekend. Take a read through the show notes. We have relevant links to everything that we discussed, including the FT's reviews of poor things and discounts for a subscription to the Financial Times. We also have ways to stay in touch with me and with the show, whether that is by email, on X, or on Instagram. Every link in the show notes that goes to the Financial Times gets you past the paywall. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my incredible team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a wonderful week and we'll find each other again on Monday.